Three months ago today, Daniel Paquette became the director of the Willimantic Public Library. We thought it'd be a good idea to bring him in this morning and introduce him to you and the community. I know some people already met him. Dan, good morning. Thank you for coming in for today. And let me start off with your background. What got you to this point in your life in Willimantic? What have you done up to this point? Sure. Uh, well, thank you first for having me here. I'm excited to be here in Willimantic, so it's great to be on the radio with you. Um, I started actually in getting a degree in accounting at UMass, and when I was doing that, I was working at the Springfield City Libraries as just sort of like a part-time li- uh, job. Uh, never thought it would turn into a career, but as as going further in my degree in accounting, I was in my last semester saying, I don't think I really want to do this accounting thing anymore. <laughs> and uh, so some of my coworkers encouraged me to get my degree in library science, so I went and got my master's um, and continued working at Springfield while I was doing that, and start, um, I they were saying while I was working that, you know, you really enjoy working with kids and you're, you're really good at it, you know. So I really focused on children's services and became a children's librarian for a number of years. Um, and that's, that's really still where my passion in libraries is, is, in, you know, engaging children and, and getting them to love libraries as much as I do. Um, it, but then, you know, I'd, I'd worked a number of years as a department head running the children's room and teen services and said, well, you know, I want a, a new kind of challenge, do something different. And so that accounting degree finally reared its ugly head and uh, I became a library director, um, which helps me, you know, filling out budgets and doing that kind of stuff. Um, but it's nice to also sort of like put my vision and my my thoughts and ideas onto an, an entire library system. You're a Massachusetts guy. What was the attraction of coming here? Uh, well, I, I saw the position, so I looked up Willimantic. I didn't know a ton beforehand, really. Um, so, I, you know, I looked it up. It looked like a really interesting town and community. And the diversity, you know, like is um, something that really drew me to the community. Um, that there's a population here that I, I wasn't really getting a chance to serve um, in a great way where I was. So it's a new, new chance for greater learning and depth in my abilities. And you know how to research, because after all, you're a librarian. So how long did it take you to find about the Frog Bridge? <laughs> that, yeah, that that came up, and uh, you know, I, you know, until you see it still, like you, you can read about it on the internet, and then you're like, you know, it's something different when you actually get there and you see the huge frogs. <laughs> well, one of my favorite stories about that is that the, the thing came up from a foundry in Bridgeport, the things plural, mm-hmm. on the back of a flatbed truck. And you think about it, you're driving to say electric boat, or you're going on Route 32 at six o'clock in the morning and coming northbound is a flatbed truck with four volkswagen sized frogs <laughs> you got to think man i got to stop drinking yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah we do some quirky things in this town there's a thing called the boombox parade which i expect you and the library to be part of on july the 4th by the way absolutely but that's part of what you do is trying to stay involved in the community not just staying within the walls of your library isn't it yeah yeah i mean because people need we we need to collaborate with everybody because the the library really touches everything you know whatever someone's interested in or someone's got a passion for or or wants to know more about or is dealing with you know they're going to come to the library to find out so it's best if we actually get out there and and head off these things so we know what people are looking for and interested in before they come in and we're blindsided by it recap your first three months dan what are some of the things that you've taken a hold of to try to develop at the library since you've been here sure um well one of the the first thing I, I saw and really wanted to correct was that we weren't open on Saturdays due to limited staffing. And so we really, you know, worked hard to figure out the schedule and get and get enough bodies in there 
to reopen Saturday hours because when people are working during the work week or whatever, that those Saturday hours were the only chance for them to come in. Um, How did you do that? Because you've had a $38,000 budget cut. Yeah, well, mo- well there, from the original budget that was proposed, most of that was uh, in the, um, the books and materials line item, you know, so that didn't really affect the hours. Um, that was, you know, difficult to swallow as well because now it went back to th- this was the first year it was going to go up in about a decade. So, you know, and, and that materials budget is, is in need of some serious help. Um, but it, it, the other part was, uh, you know, a, a reduction and, and still hard to swallow. And um, But it, it was just, you know, figuring out what parts of the week we could really do with a little bit less staff and, and the addition of my hours with, you know, replacing their director helped us uh, cover a little bit more during the work week so we could have shift people off to cover this weekend hours. What day or time of the week generates the most traffic of the library and is Saturday high on that list, which is why you wanted to emphasize keeping it open on Saturday? It is high on that list, and, and it's, again, serving a lot of the people that can't come during the week. Um, so it, it, that is one of the busier times. A lot of times um, we'll get a rush sort of in the morning, on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, we're open um, at um, 9 a.m., and so we'll have a rush of people coming in at 9. Um, and then a lot of times it's afternoon, afternoon, after school hours, we'll get another rush of teens, and then a lot of around the 5 o'clock hour, people either heading home from work or just, you know, getting their stuff before we close at 8 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Do you anticipate a rush of people this Saturday? Absolutely, because uh, this Saturday is uh, throughout Connecticut. It's Take Your Child to the Library Day, uh, so we have a special performer, uh, a comedic mime is coming in, Robert Rivest. Um, so he's going to come in and do a, a fun interactive uh, comedy show um, for kids. That starts at eleven, and we're also going to be giving away books and bookmarks and stickers, and you know, just having a lot of fun things to do. Uh, it is important to bring kids to the library. It's a lot of times their first educational experience outside of their parents is to come to a place like a library for some structure and some learning. Uh, so, you know, it's great to have a day for that. You sent me the proclamation here from His Excellency <laughs> Ned Lamont Governor, an official statement, not really a proclamation, whereas libraries serve as community resources for children and families, and whereas children develop literacy skills and form a lifelong love of reading at libraries, and whereas libraries provide free opportunities for children and families to enjoy engaging programs and a diverse array of materials and services, and whereas libraries strive to inform children and families of resources and services available to them that will enrich, educate, and entertain citizens, now, therefore, I, Ned Lamont, Governor of the State of Connecticut, do hereby officially proclaim February 1st, 2020, as Take Your Child to the Library Day in the State of Connecticut, signed Ned Lamont, Governor. What are the hours for that event? Uh, so the, uh, it, we'll be celebrating it the whole day. So on Saturdays, we're open 10 to 2, but the actual event, the comedic mime, uh, starts at 11. Uh, so come on in early, get you know, some books, check out some stuff, and then stick around for the comedy show. Now, I know you want people to come to your library. I get that. But this is every library statewide, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you have the choice of participating or not, but why wouldn't you participate? Uh, so, yeah, all the public libraries you know, are, are planning to do some kind of event, usually.
I, I can see some some hands-on parent taking their kid to like eight different libraries on that day. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but you got that stuff going on. Yeah. I hope we get people out to that particular event as people take their child to the library on that day, Saturday. You still live in Massachusetts. Is there any plan to relocate? Yeah, I, um, I have a, a child who's in school, so maybe this summer we're going to look at, you know, in the in between the school year, see about finding a place and selling our house up there and relocating. So there's a lot of moving pieces, but we hope to try and cut down that commute for me a little bit. Tell me about the family. <laughs> uh, I have a, a wonderful partner. My wife has um, been together now over a decade, 11 years. Uh, and we have two children, a seven-year-old daughter and a almost three-year-old son. And they're just you know so much fun to be around. And that's when I became a library director the first time. I was like, now I have to have kids to have that sort of uh, connection, that part of my you know experience uh, where I can still feed it somehow. <laughs> So tell me about the interaction that you have with your kids when it pertains to books specifically, but libraries in general. I got to think that you really are hands-on with them about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, they they may get uh, frustrated or <laughs> annoyed with me with how much I want to read and uh, do do finger plays. Um, actually, one of the things I also saw that was lacking when I came here uh, was a story time for pretty much birth through three years. We had some other little bit older, like the preschool story times. So I started a story time on Fridays for six to 36 months. Um, and so it's nice to get back into doing that. I've been away from it for a little while. So um, we do all, all kinds of finger plays and rhymes. And so my kids are sort of the guinea pigs for a lot of that. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we play around with, you know, the different books I'm, I'm thinking about reading for the week or the different rhymes I'm going to incorporate. So they, they get to to have a lot of fun with that, and, and they just both love reading. I've actually, in in our playrooms, uh, we have like these boxes of just filled with books, so that they're sort of on par with all the rest of their toys. You know, like books are just as much fun as everything else. And we have pictures of both of them at very young ages, like crawling into the book boxes and just picking up books and reading it. You know, like uh, so they, they love books as just as much as I do now. Do you remember some of the early books you read when you were maybe their age or a little bit older? Yeah, I I don't remember like a lot of the like the really young stuff. I remember loving the Berenstein Bears once I got a little bit older, like in you know kindergarten, first grade. That those were like the ones I can I can really remember going back the furthest. Um, and and my kids love Berenstein Bears, so I'm like pulling out you know all the old stories and remembering like oh I remember when I read this one you know when I was younger. So that's a lot of fun uh, sharing those with them. Um, those were probably my favorites as a kid. And, Dan, I was intrigued by your hour-long commute every day, including mm -hmm. today, how you occupy your time. Yeah, most of the time I'm either listening to some podcasts or some audiobooks. Uh, it's a great way for me to <laughs> catch up some, on some reading that actually when uh, I had a shorter commute, I was not, quote-unquote, reading as much <laughs> because I didn't have you know, that dedicated time. And when you're home with young kids, it's, it's all about them, you know. Uh, so it's nice to take in some extra knowledge. Tell me about the variety of audiobooks you have available at the Willimantic Library. Sure. Uh, through the Bibliomation Network that the Willimantic Library is part of, it's a bunch of uh, libraries in Connecticut that form a, a consortium of libraries. Um, we offer a service called Overdrive, and there's hundreds of, you know, thousands really of um, audiobooks available for download if you have a mobile device. Um, and it covers the whole gamut on nonfiction, fiction, children's audiobooks, teen audiobooks, you know, like if it's available in print format, 
we try to have some sort of uh, complement to it in an audio format. And then there's also another service offered statewide that's RB Digital, and that has audiobooks as well, and also magazines digitally. But Overdrive has books and, and um, audiobooks and video and stuff like that as well. That's one example mm -hmm. of how library science has changed over the years. But in your time in this field, what other things have changed in, in terms of advancements of variety that people can now get at a library you couldn't get a generation ago? Uh, libraries right now especially are really getting to you've heard of probably the internet of things and how every device is Connecticut well now but there's libraries of things uh, and libraries are circulating things that aren't you know people historically tie books with libraries and now we have our library has baking pans you can check out other libraries you know uh, down the road you can get tools like so if you're doing house projects you can get tools at the library some libraries are circulating musical instruments so if you're not sure if you're you know want to pick up the guitar or something you can go borrow one for your your library uh test it out play around and see if it's for you you know so it's um it's instead of just giving the information in a book kind of format we're also helping you learn the information by providing the things you want to do and how about music yeah a lot of we have you know cds music cds and some libraries uh, also have like um scores to the, like the sheet music that you if you want to play the actual sheet music um uh, a lot of libraries have downloadable services as well that you can um, download music as well. So, And that music is in all genres, not, all, ju yeah. not just pop or classical, but everything that people would want. Yeah, and, and if we don't have something, we can also get it from... That's mm -hmm. the great part of being the consortiums that we are, is if we don't have something, within a few days usually we can get it from another library that does have it. Last week, the library held a Books and Brews event at Willie Brew. What was that about, and is that going to be a regular thing? Yeah, so it was, a, it was an event that they had done a few times at Willie Brew uh, previously, um, but when Elizabeth, the previous director, left, it, it fell on a hiatus, so we brought it back last week. We read a very interesting book, but scary and depressing book about a serial murder. So next time, we're going to do it again uh, next month in February on the 17th. It's usually on the third Wednesday of the month. Uh, we're reading a little bit lighthearted. No, I wouldn't say it's lighthearted, but a fiction book about um, called The Overstory by Richard Powers. And it follows about 10 different main characters and how all their stories sort of interrelate and they're all brought together by trees. <laughs> so the trees are actually sort of a character in, in the book as well. And so it's a, definitely not the same kind of book as the last one we read. Tell me about the brew part of the books and brews. Does that mean this is not an event for children? And are people reading a book while having a brew? So it, it's certainly not an event for children. It's <laughs> happening in Willie Brew. Uh, so we take the show on the road you know, to our neighbors over at Willie Brew. Uh, there's a, a separate room. So people you know, come get the books from the library ahead of time, read them, and then we just discuss the book and, and you know, have a nice talk about, you know, different aspects. I, I provide different questions and people give their feedback on what they thought or how they feel about the different books. So does that mean the actual book is not being read at Willie Brew? People have already read the book. They come to Willie Brew for, well, the brew, but also to discuss what they've read. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's best if you've read it beforehand, or at least most of it. You know, um, I know some people said the last one was a little bit hard to get through for some people, because it, it was pretty graphic. Uh, well, um, some books are. Yeah. You know. um, and it's true did crime. You, did you, you know. choose it? Why was why was that particular one picked? So actually, I, I had 
um, to people who had attended the Books and Brews previously, I'd sent out like a survey and I'd selected about 10 different books, uh, fiction, nonfiction, biography, you know, all different types of genres. Um, and they sort of rated what they wanted to, to read. And so that was the number one result. And so the next one was actually, I'd also asked if they had suggestions for books. So I took one of the suggestions somebody had. So just try to change it up and, and you know, keep people coming for something different that they might not read regularly as well. So. Is one of your goals as director of the Willimantic Library to do things like that, to outreach, to have programs that get people involved in the library that are not being held inside the library walls? Yeah, um, it's good for people to see us out because then it may also remind them of some of the services and things that we do offer um, when they see you not and you don't have to wait for them to come to you you go to them and and say hey you know we're involved in this and we've got all these other great things happening you know it it encourages people to come down and realize you know the libraries aren't what they were 20 30 40 50 years ago um that they're they're really involved in a a community partner what does a library card get you well for free it's free to get a library card and we have a plethora of things that again people don't necessarily think of that you know we talked a little bit earlier that you can get your books but now we also have audiobooks we have movies that you can check out for free um, there's magazines we we circulate baking pans so if you're interested in trying a different kind of recipe and you don't have the the pan you need we, we may have it at the library um, we circulate museum passes to about a dozen different uh, local museums uh, so you can either get free or reduced admission to go to visit a you know if somebody has a exhibit out there that you really want to see you should check with the library see if you can get in free um we have uh, you know different kits and graphic novels are a big thing now as well which are like glorified comic books sort of and i i, I say when i was a kid if it wasn't for spider-man i'd be illiterate because <laughs> there was definitely <laughs> a time period where i didn't want to read anything and so it's nice now that libraries are actually circulating graphic novels and, and realizing that is still reading you know a lot of people look down on comic books or graphic novels and like well that's not real reading it's words on a page and they're reading it so it's reading to us um we have all those kinds of things we have toys that you can check out you know so there's just so many different things that, that the library provides also internet access you know everyone thinks that's a regular thing everybody has it but the truth is there are people who don't either have internet access or don't have a computer everyone thinks also oh you have cell phones but you know some people are on limited data plans or, or can't can't afford a cell phone you know so they come to the library and have access to the internet which really is uh, a necessity now some museums have rotating events where museum a will have a display and after a month or so that stuff will go to museum b and so it goes do libraries do the same thing would they have some books that maybe are not in every library and it starts in one library and then later on goes to another one and keeps on moving just so they can increase their inventory maybe on a temporary basis well that's sort of like what we're doing with the books and brews you know we have one copy of the overstory um, but if everyone's coming in trying to read the book for the book club, that's not going to cut it. So we, we reach out to the, the other libraries around and borrow their copies so that our patrons can just come in and grab it instead of having to wait to order a copy themselves. And I know that you were involved in an event with Susan Bysowich, the uh, lieutenant governor, regarding the census. Of course, census is big here in 2020. What is the library doing to assist in making sure there's an accurate count specifically for this area? Yeah, we have one of the difficult sort of areas to count um, in having that internet access and computers is big because a lot of 
the census is really encouraging people to fill out the census information online. Uh, and computers are also tricky for a lot of people who don't feel comfortable using that as their main source of uh, communication. So uh, we have computers available for people to come in. We'll give assistance in getting you to the census so you can fill it out. We can't obviously fill it out for you, but we can help you if you run into stumbling blocks on the technical nature of getting to it. Um, we're also going to have specific times where people will be provided to assist uh, people. We have laptops that we're going to put out that can uh, add, add to the collection of computers that we already have so that more and more people can use them. Um, we're also going to encourage people both through social media and through events that the census is important, because it is, um, for people to fill it out. It, it directly leads to funding for, that the state gives to this area. It leads to how much representation we have. And if we're undercounted, we're not getting all those federal and state dollars that are, we really do need to provide services like libraries and hospitals and teachers and all that. So it's important for us to help make sure everyone knows it's safe, it's secure. I know there's a lot of fear over certain questions, and in, which is going to probably hinder people Including from wanting to fit it up. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, so making sure people know that's not on there. The census, the the information is confidential. The census can't share what you fill out with ICE or with the police forces or anything like that. It's they can only use it at, through punishment of fine and and jail time if they share the information with any other service. They can only sort of aggregate the information and and hand out in the aggregate. Let's keep it that way. Now, as far as the census is concerned, I've heard a lot about it. But I haven't seen anything about it. When do I, when do we get notified? When do we get told how to log on to do it online? Or how do we fill out a hard copy? Does it come in our mail? So you'll get a notification through the mail in a couple of weeks um, saying when the census date is, when the survey will go live online. And it'll give you sort of your, your number, your your login information. So then once it goes live, you can go in and check it out. If you don't fill it out within... Timeline, it's like the first two or three weeks. If you don't fill it out, they'll send you a little reminder letter saying like, hey, we'd really like you to fill that out. And then if you don't still fill it out, they'll send you the paper copy of the survey. And if you continue to not fill it out, then they'll actually send somebody to knock on your door and say, hey, uh, we need your, your information. And they're looking for volunteers to do that too, or not volunteers, but people like Paid. Get, yeah. Uh, and it's a great paying job. I think it's up to twenty three fifty an hour for uh, 20 to 40 hour work weeks. It's, More than I make here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And, and someone was also at that meeting I went to, they're also saying if you currently receive sort of state benefits and stuff, this doesn't affect it. So you'd still receive all your normal benefits. So it's really can double dip sort of almost. <laughs> Dan, I, I see no habla espanol. Not yet. I'm learning. So how do you reach out to that portion of our community at the Willimantic Library, you have other you have staff members who do speak Spanish. We do. We have three fluent uh, staff members and a, a couple others who who know some or, or can speak but can't write and read in it. Um, and I, like I said, I'm learning. We we provide a database called Mango Languages, uh, which helps you learn different languages. So I'm learning Spanish. Um, but what we when we go out, I, I did an outreach to one of the public schools. They have the early Head Start there, and they have a ESOL class, and so I'm going to bring next time I go one of the Spanish-speaking people who can uh, help translate what I'm saying and the benefits of the library to the parents, and then we can do a sort of bilingual story time for some of the kids. Poquito Espanol for Dan. But you do know American Sign Language. Tell me how you learned that and why you learned it and what that means to our community. Uh, so in 
college, you're required to take a language. And I knew through my time in high school and uh, that it, Spanish and French were not easy for me to learn, and those were sort of what was available. So I said, well, I'll take American Sign Language. That sounds interesting to me. It helps me provide services to another community that maybe is usually underrepresented. So I, I took it, and I loved it. It's a lot of you know fun to learn and to use. And I don't know as many uh, people who use it, so it's hard to stay you know, current with my knowledge. So I'm a little rusty now, but it, it was a lot of fun to learn. Tell me about the strategic plan of the library and what is being done on it and what the plan is all about. Sure. So it's, a, it's our chance to – we did some surveys and focus groups to get community feedback and interest and uh, what they want to see happen at the library in the next five years. Um, and then we're, we're distilling all that and putting it into a plan so we can set our, our goals for what we want to see happen and, and what we want to do in the next few years. And so it, it's really – driven by the community to know uh, that they have a say in, in our interests. How do they notify you of that? Did you walk in? Is there a public survey? There was a survey. It had already been completed. There was a survey and about 10 different focus groups on different sort of constituencies throughout the community. And so now we're just, uh, actually tomorrow we have at our board meeting, it's going to be one of the big uh, topics of discussion is trying to finalize that plan and, and to put it all out. So then hopefully by February we can have it out to the public and uh, say, you know, this is what we're doing in the next couple of years. Can you give us a reveal, give us an idea what some of those topics are? It's uh, definitely, again, uh, doing more of reaching out to the community, um, doing more to collaborate with different partners in the community, whether it's schools or nonprofits or some of the other town departments, uh, working with more businesses as well to help drive their mission. Um, uh, you know, also in improving the space of the library. We had a renovation about two years ago, but we, I know there was a lot of interest in making it a little bit more welcoming and homey and uh, an enjoyable place to just come in and sit and, and hang out for a little bit. Um, so those are definitely in there. There's a lot of people who marked off parking as, a, as an issue. There's not a lot we can do personally, but we can also make sure we advocate and, and work with our elected officials to know that that is a need and that is something people are are really craving for downtown to be able to use the library a little bit more. So those are just a few of the things that will definitely be in the plan. Do you have a sense, a feeling, or maybe a survey of your clientele, your demographics? Who uses the Willimantic Library? Uh, it, it's used by everybody. We're, our doors are open to everyone, and so we get a wide swath of the community that comes in from um, affluent people to, to people uh, affected by homelessness. You know, we're, we're really serving everybody in the community. When you have open doors, you get everybody. Um, we, and we, again, try to serve everybody from birth with story times and picture books right up through uh, senior citizens. We actually um, were just at the card home last week doing a craft project at the card home, and this week we're going to the senior center. So we're really trying to make sure we're working with everybody. You said birth. I want to hear more about that. So let's say someone listening right now. So it's a right process now, a lot of times at the hospital. No. Never. Uh, thank you. <laughs> who, who writes your material? But let, let's say somebody had a baby mm. last week. Are you saying bring that baby into the Willimantic Library? You got programs for that kid too? Well, last week is probably a little early. That I, I would say even most doctors would recommend for a little bit, not going to public spaces where there's a lot of germs. Uh, mm. uh, but we do have some, I mean, from 
from very early, I mean, my kids, probably starting around 8 to 12 weeks, started going to the library. It weren't necessarily programs, but there was books and materials. We have board books, which are, um, you know, those really hard cardboard books that kids, it's really hard for them to rip apart. So it's amazing, you know, because even if they can't read the words, just moving the pages, that's a, a big pre-literacy skill, just knowing which way to turn pages and, and, and how to use a book, which way is up and which way is down. And um, so right from before they can utter words, they're already learning. Kids' brains are actually more powerful than yours and ours. At, at six, they actually start losing their strength because <laughs> uh, you, you focus and your brain loses synapses. Um, but up to that point, you know, like kids are wandering around and everything they're doing is learning both through sight, sound, touch, and, and they're taking it all in at once where, you know, we typically focus on something and uh, can dedicate all of our brain power to a task. And kids, like, they're doing a million things at once and all of it is learning. And so the library is a great place to do that. I'm a big believer in reading to the baby in the womb, mm -hmm. pre-birth. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on that? I, I did it. I agree with it. Uh, whether... They can hear it or not, you know, like the science, I think, is leading towards saying, yes, they can. But either way, you're bonding with the, that child and you're going to already have feelings for it before it's even born. And that's a great thing, you know, so I think it does help. I think it's a good thing. But no matter what, you're already helping to build those emotions um, before birth. So that's another way it can help. We, we talked earlier this morning about the impact of children's programs at the Willamette Library. I'd like to go a little deeper into that about what some of the specific things you've got, which, among other things, draw people, families, children into the library. But I'm just curious what some of those programs are that the kids seem to glom onto that they like and they want to come back for. Sure. I, I, we have a, a Lego group that meets at the library where they can come in and build Legos. Uh, same thing with Akiva blocks. I don't know if you know what those are. They're like little wood planks and actually we have them out throughout the day and, and two teens the other day built these huge towers in, in our teen room that actually went all the way to the ceiling they were amazing and so we took some pictures and uh, um, so it's it's really um, a great learning experience too so this is books it's not books and reading but it's getting them in a library where they might kind of morph into books and reading exactly yeah it, it just uh osmosis kind of exposure you know uh and, and a lot of times if you can pique their interest in something you know say you're building legos we have books on legos and, and seeing different artists and what they've done or engineering um you know the, the math and, and architecture that goes into building things like that um we show movies to get people in um we're going to participate in the upcoming chocolate fest um so you know we're going to be giving away some chocolate and we have a special valentine's craft that that we're going to be doing that day read willy wonka yeah <laughs> he, he comes up every year this time i'm sure of it this is my first chocolate fest but i bet he's a staple at the library um we also have QVCC coming to bring it. They're going to be giving out um, some chocolate cookies that they made. So, um, you know, we'll definitely be partners in that. Um, we uh, have uh, English as a second language classes that happen at the library. EastCon puts those on, but we're the home of those. So that's two days a week that um, they're providing English as a second language class. Um, so that's obviously not for kids. But uh, at that same time, we... Their EastCon is also providing childcare for the parents. So, you know, like uh, if a barrier for someone to come take those classes was that they have a child and it's hard to find somebody to care for them, then, w you know, we've helped eliminate that barrier as well. Gail Zeba did a great job as the Willamette Library Children's Librarian. Who does that role now? Nobody. As a matter of fact, me, mostly. Uh, um, well, we have a great staff in the children's room, but that position has gone unfilled for the last two years. So that's something I'm going to be really 
pushing to to do. I mean, I do have experience, but all the time I spent like doing story times and in outreach and stuff, which could be done by a children's librarian, prevents me from doing other community outreach and, and working with people offering adult programs. So we're really going to be hoping to refill that position in this coming budget year. When you are reading to children, especially the great illustrated picture books, how do you do it? Do you, do you read it with a thing like on your lap and you're reading upside down or do you hold it up where you can read the words and they can see the pictures? Uh, you want uh, With the picture books, you definitely... Um, the picture is telling half the story, if not more sometimes. So I'm holding it off to my right side typically and um, have it facing out to the to the crowd and sort of read off off over my shoulder. Because, um, and I love, there's a museum in, in Hadley, Massachusetts, the Air Carl Picture Book Museum, which is dedicated to the artistry of picture books. And uh, one of the interesting things I always find about that is they have a library in there, which instead of um, alphabetizing it by the author, they alphabetize it by the illustrator, which... <laughs> Which children's books do you find the kids react to the most? Uh, uh, my favorite also is, is stories with sounds. Typically, young kids really you know, appreciate animal noises, you know, human body noises, <laughs> anything that you can, <laughs> anytime you can add some, some sound effects to a story time, it really brings people around, whether it's bangs and crashes help any, any noise. Well, Dan, as you've probably figured out, I do like weather. And when I read to kids, mm -hmm. one of my favorite books to read to kids is called A Drop Around the World. And it's by Barbara Shaw McKinney, who I believe is from East Hartford. I've had her in here like 20 years or so ago when I first got the book. And it's almost like a combination of science and Where's Waldo, where it basically traces the path of a raindrop as it evaporates, goes up, becomes a cloud. It's over a desert. It's too dry to rain, so it just stays up there in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. in, in India, it comes down as part of a flood. In Mumbai, I still remember all these things. I read it so often. Mm -hmm. But the tremendous illustration in that book is that every page has at least one little raindrop in it. So you're reading the book to some four-year-old kid, and while you're reading it, and they're kind of following where the raindrop is going, they're looking at the illustration going, oh, there's the raindrop. It's pretty cool. So I don't know if you've got that one at the library. Of course, now that, that brings up something else. You got your phone here. Mm -hmm. I mentioned my Yukon book to you, and you were able to figure out that you got two copies of it at the Willamette Library. Now, you have, you're the director. I get the fact you have access to see what books you have in your inventory now. Is that available to the general public can anybody go online and see what books you have at the library it, it is it, if you go to our website willamanticlibrary.org you can see right on the front page up near the top there's a search bar that says search catalog and so if, if you wanted to see if we had a book or a movie or anything that the library might own you just type it right in there and search and and it'll come up let you know if we have it or if somebody else in the bibliomation network has it all right you want to look up a drop around yeah. the world a drop he's typing now so he can't talk but it's by barbara Shaw McKinney, M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. I also like Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs, by the way. Oh, that is another great one. And then another one that I like to read to kids, since I do have a little sports inclination, is Casey at the Bat. As, uh, that, that one I like for a couple of reasons. Number one, sports. But number two, there are some 25-cent words in Casey at the Bat. You can expose these kids to words they've never heard before. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the spheroid 
is one of the words. <laughs> I don't think a lot of five-year-olds know about spheroids. No. Anyway, how's Barbara Shaw McKinney? In so your search? we don't own a copy, but it is in the Bibliomation network. So if you wanted to see it, you could place a hold right from your phone, from your computer, from your house, um, and it would come right to the library, and we'd call you when it gets there. I like that. Dan, are there programs that you have instituted that weren't here before in the three months you've been on duty? Are there things people can do now they couldn't do a year ago? That that story time for babies was one that you know was not happening. So that's that's a new one that we instituted called Story and Rhyme Wiggle Time. That meets on Fridays um, at ten thirty. Um, we usually do four weeks, and then I take a week off because sometimes I have Friday meetings. So I try <laughs> try to schedule around those. Um, so the, the the that one is is a new one. Um, we we're also right now. Um, we have a knitting group, but we have a, a dedicated project we're working on for the wildfires in Australia. We're knitting some Joey pouches. Um, I'm not knitting because I don't know how. But, <laughs> but, uh, Knit one pearl, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have the patterns and, and everything like that that you might need in some of the supplies if you don't have them. Um, they're, they're adorable. Um, our adult librarian showed me one, one that she made, and we had a little um, kangaroo puppet that we stuffed in it and to see how it works. And it, it's really neat because there's orphaned little um, marsupials out there that need our assistance. So what's a typical day like for a library director? Like today, once you leave here, you're going to go down to the library, and what do you do all day? I'll probably start with... Uh, well, figuring out who's sick or who's out or what what's happening there, making sure all the desk coverage is is all set for the day. Um, then I typically try to walk around the building, make sure there's nothing wrong, everything's working all right. Uh, then it starts responding to emails and and doing bills and things like that. Then it's placing orders, figuring out you know books and materials that we may need or supplies that we're out of. Um, typically, there's at least one meeting a day, if not more. Um, so always working around those. There's no, there's no sort of every day is the same kind of thing with a director job like this. You, you're always moving around and doing different things. You know. Is it your goal to be visible to the people in the library rather than be holed up in your office all day long and people come and do their thing but they don't see you? Yeah, we definitely want people to recognize me, to feel comfortable coming in and chatting, to, uh, you know, to know who I am, um, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's getting out there and being seen and, and being part of the library. Do you make an effort to have local authors in your collection? I mentioned my Yukon book from 2005, and by golly, you got two of them there. I was impressed by that. But not just the, the woman from East Hartford I talked about, but uh, we've got a, a local woman here, Barbara McClintock, who's been on the air a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I've got a whole story. I won't go into it now on the air about her book, Mary and the Mouse, the Mouse and Mary. Is there enough effort to get local authors like her into your library? Definitely. I, we definitely want to help support the local authors and illustrators. Um, but it's also, these are people they may run into or, or see. Like, if you can say, oh, this person lives, you know, in this town or a town over, it, it can also help a, a young kid say, oh, they're my neighbor. Maybe I, this is something I could do as well. So we definitely want to have those materials in our collection. 
Well, just be sure Barbara McClintock's books are there because I had a great story about my niece, Cameron, in San Diego when uh, I, re- I read the text of that book on tape, and uh, let's just say that she really glommed onto it. Mm. Dan, welcome to town three months after the fact, and I hope you have a long stay here and hope you enjoy your stay here. Thanks for coming in this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Dan Paquette, our guest this morning, the new director of the Willimantic Public Library.